I want to share from you from the book of First Peter, and I want to go into a little bit of, of background, um, how the apostle Peter, how he wrote to the churches in exile, and, and a little bit of their story, and I want us to kind of find ourselves within this story. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. This morning as we dive into your word, I pray that you would show us truth, God. And I pray that our faith would be strengthened in you, God, as we align ourselves with your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's how Peter opens his letter to the churches in exile. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, when Peter is writing to these elect exiles, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about Christians, followers of Jesus, and they're exiled and dispersed through an area that's mostly around modern-day Turkey, if you kind of know your geography in that, in that area. And this is what had happened. So in Rome, in the middle of the first century, Emperor Claudius, he was the guy in charge, he was, he was the emperor, and he decided to exile all of the Jews out of Rome. He decided to push them out. Now, and Christianity was so young as a movement, it was kind of hard to differentiate Christianity from Judaism. And so all, most of the Christians that were there, they also got exiled. And so they were living all over. You know, Peter said, you know, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, all over in the dispersion. So that kind of sounds like a real bummer. I want, I want us to kind of imagine, put ourselves in those people's shoes, in the people who he's writing to, right? So imagine these people in Rome. They hear the gospel. How many of you remember when you heard the gospel? Remember when that changed your life forever? Imagine, so these people, they hear the gospel. They get saved. They're like, I am a follower of Jesus. And they're gathering together like we are, and they're fellowshipping, and, the, and God's changing their life. God's healing them. God's setting them free from stuff. And uh, they're expecting that when Jesus returns soon, everything's gonna be made right. And everything looks great, but then suddenly, these people are hurled out of their homeland, right? They're hurled out of their, they're separated from family, from friends, their jobs, they lose their jobs, their heritage, and all of a sudden they're in a foreign place. They don't know the people, they don't know the language, they don't know the culture, and they have to start all over. And they might be broke, they might be starving, and you know what I bet they were saying? Hey, Peter, this is not what I signed up for. You ever have that moment? Let's just be real in your Christian faith, where maybe at the beginning you were passionate and you were excited and then maybe something happens in your life. Maybe it's a disappointment. Maybe you lose someone that you love. Or maybe you have these questions of doubt. And you find yourself in a place so far away, it feels like, from where you first believed. And, and what do you say? God, this is not what I signed up for. This is a perfect scripture for you this morning. So I think about, too, my, my parents are here. My mom and dad are here. And I know that they've walked through this. I know their story. I know the story of my dad's conversion. My dad, he grew up up north in Nuevo, Michigan, and his high school shop teacher led him to the Lord. And he got filled with the Holy Spirit. He was excited. He wanted to serve God. He felt God calling him to do missions with an organization called YWAM. And he, he came to his dad, and he said, Dad, I want to go do missions. I want to go preach the gospel, and I want to love people. And, and 
his dad said to him basically to the effect of don't ever speak to me again and rejected him. I'm sure he had this moment, man, this is, this is not what I just signed up for. And my mom, you know, when she, um, when she got saved, she was around high school age and she would um, drag her brother to Sunday school down the road in the church and uh, that was during the Jesus movement and she got involved with this church and, you know, they would have the nights where they would push the pews to the side and with their long hair, they'd sit on the floor with acoustic, but they would sing about Jesus. And she got saved in that church and she told her family, I want to go and I want to, to be in ministry and they just kind of like, ah, oh, that's kind of weird. I don't know about that. I know that they had these moments of, hey, this is not what I signed up for. So what I want us to realize, these unmet expectations that I think we all kind of understand now, when Peter talks to these people, he's going to talk about suffering. Okay, the word suffering. Now this word, I want us to kind of understand the way Peter uses it so we can apply it to our lives, but also kind of understand in, in right context, right? Because when we think about suffering, we think usually about our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas, and they're tortured, and they are, are martyred for their faith, and that is definitely something we know that is real and it takes place. And in no way, when we use the word suffering, do we belittle or or downplay the suffering going on in their lives. Because that is very real, and we know that, and we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. But even when, when Peter is talking to these specific group of people, these people might be ostracized, and they might be outcasts, and they might be outsiders, but they're not particularly being persecuted. So what that means is suffering can be different in our lives versus someone else's life. Suffering for one person might be struggling with questions of doubt, or suffering for another person might be just disillusionment and frustration and trial, maybe financial struggles. And so suffering is kind of this, when Peter talks about it, it's this kind of broad concept. And so whatever you, you are going through in life or you've been going through in life, I want you to see that in that realm of suffering. So here's this. I want to talk about three things about suffering. Here's the first thing. Suffering proves your salvation. Suffering proves your salvation. Look at this in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And check this out. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation in, of your souls. Now, suffering is going to test how genuine your faith in Jesus is. This is true. Because it can be easy to walk in and say, all right, I believe in Jesus now. I'm a Christian. It's great. But then trials are going to come. I promise you that. I don't know all of you very intimately. I don't know you personally, but I can guarantee each and every one of you, storms of life are going to come. Suffering is going to come. Paul writes in, in, to Timothy in, the, in Scripture and says, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus, they're going to face persecution. They're going to face suffering. They're going to face hard times. But it is in those hard times 
And so what Peter is saying is, I know you guys are having this suffering. I know you're disillusioned and you're thinking, this is not what I signed up for. But let that frustration bring you back to Jesus. Come on, somebody. You can let your trials take you away from God, or you can let your troubles lead you to God. You can let your suffering make you bitter, or you can let your suffering make you better. Come on. You can let your suffering be pitiful, or you can make your suffering productive. It's what we do in those times. It's how we redirect our suffering hearts back to Christ and show that our hope and our faith is in nothing else. You know, we could sing it on a Sunday morning, right? My hope is built on nothing less, Jesus' blood and righteousness. But it's when those trials come that it's tested. James has a really just enlightening way of putting it in James chapter 1, 2, and 3. It says, count it all joy, my brothers. Which is interesting because Peter said, what? In this you rejoice. James is saying, count it all joy. Right, so we should even be rejoicing and praising God in the midst of our trials. It says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so I'm telling you, everything in life is a test. Well, Pastor Dan, does that mean that God brings suffering into my life? No, God is... The Bible says that every good and perfect thing comes from above, from the Father of lights. But we know in this life, we still live in a hurt, broken, and dying world. And we are waiting, just like Peter said, the outcome of our faith, waiting for Christ. We're waiting for Christ to return. We're waiting for things to be made right. But in this time, because of the hurting, lost, and broken world, there's still suffering. So God doesn't cause that suffering in your life. God doesn't do things to punish you. God is not against you. God is for you. God loves you. But there are still trials that will come. And it's a test. It's a test of who we really trust in, who our faith is really in, and who we really believe in. Because sometimes it can be easy to walk through life when maybe we have a lot of money, but then if the money disappears, then we're, it's a really test of, hey, what was our faith in all? Right? Come on, somebody. Maybe, maybe a spouse or maybe your children or maybe a friend. But when that person leaves or when that person lets you down, you're going to find out where your trust and your faith is really in. And so these trials and these tests prove your faith. And so I think that in light of that, and I've learned this too, and Kathleen can so testify that sometimes I, I can come and I can be so frustrated and I can ask, why is this happening? We love to ask why. We're the, kind of the, the why society, the why generation. Why, why did God let this happen? Or why did God allow that? Or why is this happening to me? You know, and sometimes we can get a greater peace in God by not always having to know the why. Can I tell you that? It would be great to know the why. It would be great if God could take us to 10,000 feet and say, oh, this is why this, you know, and this is how I'm gonna work this out. You're saying, God, this, so I encourage you to do this. If you're in a situation right now, you're saying, God, this is not what I signed up for. My money does not look like the way I thought it would be. Why, 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 why? Instead of asking why, try asking this. God, what can you teach me from this? Because you may not ever understand why in this life. Because we're, we're limited. God's thoughts are higher than ours. 
But you can ask, God, what are you teaching me in the middle of this suffering, in the middle of this unmet expectation, in the middle of this pain? God, what are you teaching me right now? How can I learn? How can I grow? How can I learn to love you more through this? How can I learn to serve you better through this? Here's number two. Suffering well provides a witness. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Isn't that right? Tell you what, it's a whole lot better to suffer for doing the right thing than to suffer for, for dumbness. That's the spirit of dumb-dumb, you know, that sometimes will come upon all of us. Amen. It's a whole lot better to be suffer for being obedient because there's worth in that. You know what I've noticed about the world and what I've noticed about our culture is that we value, like, when you're a little kid and you can see wild-eyed in the world and wonder and, and everything. But as you grow up, it just seems like our, our culture teaches people to be cynical. You know, you grow up and you maybe you get married or you get divorced or, or, you know, you lose your job. You know, our culture teaches us to be like, man, I can't believe I lost my job. That's terrible. It almost teaches us that. It teaches us to be, culture teaches us to be discontent teaches us to be bitter, teaches us to be angry, teaches us to be mad at other people, to blame other people, to shift responsibility. And so I think what Peter is saying is, do you know what would just blow the world away? Is to see somebody who goes through the same trial, who has the same trial happen to them, who loses the same job, the person that loses the same family member, the person that experiences the same tragedy, but instead of getting bitter, they get better? You know, it would just, just absolutely just boggle the world's mind as if you see someone go through a trial and walk out the other side happier and more joyful and a better person than when they went in. That is a witness to the world that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So Peter is saying, when you suffer for doing good, when you suffer for obeying Christ and staying the course, you know, one of the greatest witnesses to the outside world will not be how you handle your blessing. It's going to be how you handle the blowout. It's not going to be how you handle when things are great because anyone can handle it when things are great. But it's when there's suffering, when there's a blowout, when there's an explosion, when there's a meltdown, how you handle, how you walk through, how you come out the other side. And again, I think about my parents sitting here. It's the greatest example. I've seen them walk through trial after trial after trial after trial. And I have seen them at their most raw. You know what they say is, you know what? I still trust God. What a witness. That will just blow people away. And my heart for this church is that we would be a people that when we walk through something and when we go through a tragedy, we don't get bitter and we don't get cynical, but we get better. Amen. That we actually come through the other side and we're like, hey, I'm better than when I went in. Praise God. I'm a better person. I'm a different person. I'm a transformed person. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm sure not what I used to be. That is a witness to the world 
of a God that just blows all of their expectations and a light. So stay the course. Keep trusting God. Don't get tired of doing good. There's a reward, and it glorifies Christ. So that when people see how you walk through that, they don't have one single bad thing to say about you. They might be like, oh. Gotta think about that a minute. The third thing is this. Suffer together. We suffer together. This is why I love the church so much. This is why I love our church so much. We don't have to suffer alone. We don't have to process alone. We don't have to deal with it alone. We have community. We have a church. We love each other. We help each other. You know, as people saved and redeemed by Jesus, we're family. And sometimes when we don't have a lot of words for each other, we can say, you know what? I love you and your family. You know, so think about, I want you to kind of think about the story of these exiles that Peter's writing to again for a second. Think about their context. Think about their story. Think about them in a dispersed in this foreign country. Now, they might have known each other and be like, oh, hey, Bill, you know, walk, when they were back in Rome. But now, they might not have been super close knit them, but now they're in a completely foreign place. They're spread out all over. And maybe all that they have in that little foreign town is each other. So I bet they, they must have grown so much closer together than they ever were when they were just walking by, oh, hey, Bill, on Sunday back in Rome. Suddenly, uh, this trial or this unmet expectations happened, and now suddenly, they, they're suffering together. And God is glorified when we come together. And this is what Peter says about it in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Come on, as a church, we serve one another, amen? And our diverse gifts. I know Marty is a servant in the back as he's working, and Amy is a servant in the back as she works the sound console, and Nate is serving us as a congregation. Right? And, and Jim and Diane, they serve as they usher us to the, the people that work the coffee. Praise God for coffee. Come on. Come on, somebody. We serve one another. We love on one another. And so when we come to, whether it's on Sunday we come together, or whether it's a small group, whether we're putting this Christmas tea together as, as the ladies um, come and worship, as Jessica, as that labor of love, as you pour that out, that's, you're serving the body. You're growing the body. So as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You don't got to suffer alone. You know, this, this church is a place where it's okay to say I'm not okay. It's okay to say, hey, I'm going through something. Hey, I need some help. Hey, I'm feeling discouraged this week. Hey, I'm feeling frustrated this week. Can you pray for me? 
And as, as we suffer together, as we walk through those things together, sometimes the same thing together. Not only do we grow closer together, but we glorify God. God is glorified when we suffer together. And the last thing is this. I tried really hard to have three points because that's really the cool thing to do, but I have, I have four. <laughs> it's okay. Is it okay? I've only got about 45 minutes left, so we're okay. We're okay. It's just this. This is at the very end of 1 Peter. So it's 1 Peter, a, a leader, an apostle, and a pastor, loving these people. So he's getting ready to wrap up this letter, just like I'm getting ready to wrap up this message, and this is what he says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Trust their souls. So your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's the most impacted by suffering. That weeps in sorrow, that gets frustrated. That's the soul. What Peter is saying is you can trust God in your suffering. You know, I'm I'm only I'm only 26. And I've only been in ministry for a few years, but I've seen some people go through stuff. I've seen friends go through stuff. I've seen family go through stuff. And I think what it ultimately comes down to, how they come out the other side, is where they entrust their soul. It's where they place their soul. Is it in themselves? Is it in someone else? Or is it a faithful creator? So this is what I would say to you. In your hurt, in your pain, in your sorrow, God can be trusted. You can trust God with your hurt. You can trust God with your questions. God's not afraid of, the, of you saying, hey, this is not what I signed up for. God's not afraid of your questions. You can ask him those tough questions. But entrust your soul to him because he's faithful to you. I promise you, he will always, always, always be faithful to you. I promise you, church. You know what? Your, your friends might let you down, but God's gonna be faithful to you. Your job might let you down, but God's always gonna be faithful to you. I might let you down, but God's always gonna be 